Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There was this Latin phrase inscribed over a door and it said, memento vivere. And I was like, that's beautiful. I have no idea what it means. So I went home and I looked it up and it means remember to live. And he inscribed it over this door in this house because so many people go through every day in their life, existing, waiting for the weekend. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shump and in this episode, we're keeping the conversation going with Tassie Girl and mortgage broker at Uploans, Kirsty Dunphy, who successfully implemented her self-proclaiming boring set-and-forget strategy and traveling the world while providing a multicultural rich lifestyle for herself and her kids. Also, before we delve into this episode, go over to propertyinveststory.com and subscribe to receive your free property investor case studies where you'll learn how to generate passive income from your properties. Go there now to sign up for free. One of the things that initially held Dunphy back from investing in property was cash flow. I would say just I, I'm not a big um, fan for myself personally of um, lenders mortgage insurance, LMI. So for me, it was just making sure I had either the equity or the cash to be able to avoid that. Um, that's just my own personal comfort level for me. Um, and so that was one thing that held me back. But also, um, I'm busy at my work. I hate that word because it's not a very useful word, but I'm productive and I work a lot and I work hard and I love my work. It's a big part of my identity and I've always been like that. I've owned my own businesses since I was 15. So actually, I would say probably the one thing that probably held me back the most from a property investing perspective is that I don't give it very much time. Um, I'll jump on opportunities if I see them or if I feel like I'm in a position where I want to do something, I will devote a bit of time to it, but I've never given it a huge amount of time really. It's just kind of almost accidentally happened and working in the fields that I've worked in, it's a, it's a good place to be to have it accidentally happen. But I feel like I probably could have skyrocketed the journey a little bit more if I'd actually given it some time. Time investor into research and education is something she feels would have benefited her in the long term, which is something she makes an effort to do now. I love podcasts. That's why I'm so excited whenever anyone asks me to be on a podcast because that is how I learn now. So I deliberately walk 10 or 15 minutes into my office each day. I put my headphones in and I play a podcast and I learn. And so I'm a pretty voracious reader, but the busier you get, the less time you take to sit down and read. So the fact that you can just have that education constantly coming into your ears on podcasts like this, I think is brilliant um, and I wish that this sort of technology had been around you know for a lot more years so that I 
could have kept doing that. But for me, just even sitting down and going, okay, I've got capacity now to buy another property. Where do I want to look? And I don't invest very much in Tassie anymore because I'm pretty heavily weighted down here and my land tax bills are killing me because of it. So I look out of state and, you know, just to find the time to go, okay, I want to buy something in my super in Victoria. How do I get that research done? Or, you know, I'm, I'm looking up in Queensland at the moment, but you know, I've got a buyer's agent sitting there and he's requested a bunch of stuff from me and it's just all been put into the later pile at the moment. So, yeah, just a bit more time in that respect. Some of the resources she turns to and that she recommends to clients are podcasts such as Smart Investor and books by Jan Summers. I don't listen to anything um, that I get into and that I feel is real and, you know, approachable. So, I like property couch there's the smart investor one there's a real estate podcast called million dollar agent which i really love as well um and then whenever i speak to a client who is thinking about getting into investment properties i always send them back to who i think is the guru i'm like right you need to go and read everything that jan summers has ever written i mean that's my number one resource i say it's probably not you know as riveting and exciting as say like a rich dad poor dad which many of us property investors read at the beginning of our journey but as far as the Australian property market and getting the fundamentals of it down I feel like she's the guru so that's always where I send people as a resource resource first up. The best advice she has ever received has actually come from Summers as well which is related to land. Given that we're talking about Dan, I'm going to say the advice has come direct from her and it's shaped my philosophy. So I started off and I bought one little unit in a six-unit complex. But since then, I have really veered away from having any apartments. Um, I have a block of four units that I own, but I own the whole block. And that that exact advice has come from, you know, Jan Summers basically talking about how ultimately over time it's the land component that goes up in value and that, that appreciates. And so that has really, really framed my investment strategy I like my own land. I like a single dwelling on a block of land where possible. I'll go to a townhouse if I need to, um, which I did a couple of in Melbourne um, in the last couple of years. But, you know, I like, I like to have my own land and that, that is purely straight from Jan. Delving into her strategy, Dunphy has maintained a good foundation to stick to, which has mostly been to set and forget. I started off the portfolio um, just with a real mindset of I can't spend more than $100,000. I can't, I can't. Those properties are probably all worth somewhere between two fifty and three hundred. Now the ones I've held on to and I've held on to most. I sold a couple over the years. I had one where a tenant bought one back from me. I had one where the, the owner that sold it to me bought one back from me. I had a few units in a hotel complex that we managed and I sold those when I stopped managing the hotel complex. Um, I had an interest in a land subdivision which I sold out of. So there's there's been a few things I've let go over the years, but predominantly my strategy is very, very basic. It is buy well and hold um, and buy readily tenantable. So where possible, I want to find something that a family can move into. Um, so the aim, once I, sort of, once I sort of wrap my head around a strategy, like for a while I was just like, buy that because it's cute, buy this. I mean, I think we all sort of have not great direction to start off with. So I've got a couple of weatherboard cottages in there which are um, extremely high maintenance, but the capital growth on those has probably been a little bit higher than the brick properties. So hopefully that'll weigh out over time. Mostly, she looks for low maintenance properties with a high depreciation on the building, buy new wherever possible. However, she also likes to stretch the boundaries a little. The last three purchases that I've done have all been in and around the sort of Melbourne area. So not too far from the CBD, I bought two new townhouses and then an existing um, townhouse 
um, the price point over there for a little Tassie girl who was used to buying everything under 100000 is a little bit terrifying for me. Um, two of those were done in my self-managed super funds, which is something that, you know, if I'm going to write self-managed super loans through work, I wanted to experience from my own personal perspective. Um, so that's been great and frustrating as self-managed super loans tend to be, um, but fantastic for me to have those properties in there. I've tried to put high capital growth properties into there as opposed to high yielding ones, hoping for some good capital gain savings when I do eventually want to sell them in my in my wonder years to fund my retirement. Um, so yeah, I mean the strategy has probably not been you know, as as laser focused as I would have liked. I desperately wanted to get myself a block of units. I mean, I mentioned Robert Kiyosaki and Rich Dad Poor Dad earlier on. I think so many of us read that book to start off with and then discovered that, oh, we couldn't buy like, you know, a 15-unit development easily in our home areas. But I did find a, a fourplex, as he would call it, and um, bought that. But it's probably not the favourite property in my portfolio. I've got other very, very boring three- and four-bedroom brick houses, which – I love 10 times more than that block of units because a block of units, you know, the type of unit that it is, it's a two-bedroom unit pretty close to the Hobart CBD or they're all two-bedroom units close to the Hobart CBD. We just have higher tenant turnover there than, than what I would typically love in my set and forget strategy. So how many properties does she estimate are in her portfolio at this point in time? I don't know and I deliberately don't know and the reason I, I don't know, I know I've got three in Melbourne, I've got four in um, Hobart, the four units in Hobart and then the rest are in Launceston but fundamentally I also think that investors can get really skewed by this whole concept of I want to have 30 properties, I want to have 100 properties, I want to have 10 properties. It actually doesn't matter how many properties you have, it matters about that cash flow that you have coming in. I mean ultimately if you want to get to a position where you can retire and you know you want to have X amount of cash flow coming in, that to me is a better strategy. So from my perspective, that's always what I've looked at. Um, I feel like there's maybe 12 here in North Western, but that's a, that's a guess. Um, I'm loving this because it's good. It, it really proves that you don't know what how many properties in your portfolio yeah. means. That's also I've got a shack forget. as well. <laughs> I just forgot we have a shack on the east coast of Tassie, which is basically paradise. It's the most beautiful <laughs> area ever. And so we Airbnb that, not ourselves. We have it managed, but we use it and then um, we have it rented out as well. So, yeah. But I just, I just don't think, I think that people can just get so blinded by this mentality of, you know, I want to have five, I want to have 10. And fundamentally, I'd rather have two really good properties than 10 really ordinary ones that give me a whole heap of grief. Although up until recently, most of Dunphy's debt has been offset, she's now taking on a joint venture project with one of her mentors, which has altered her situation. I think in February of this year, um, I did something which is completely outside my comfort zone, um, very much completely outside. So I have a real estate mentor in Melbourne. He um, was doing a development in um, the street that he lives in and he asked me to be a partner in that development. So I'm a one-third partner with him and with um, the builder and myself and we're, we're knocking down a $2 million house and rebuilding another one. So most of my cash has gone to that. Um, to be part of that partnership very much outside my comfort zone like I said to you I'm predominantly extremely boring and who knows that could end up being my biggest regret uh, hopefully not hopefully, hopefully I'll not. in the next three or four months yeah exactly um, so before that the positive um, cash flow coming out of the portfolio was around about 100 grand a year um, but that's actually changed now that I'm paying you know significantly more interest 
So mm. yeah, the portfolio was was pretty pretty neutral by the time all the offset funds came back in. So yeah, there's not a huge amount of cash flow coming out of there at the moment. The reasoning behind this venture into development was to take what she believes to be a once in a lifetime opportunity with a close friend and personal mentor. I thought to myself, because I am so very, very dull with what I do, I thought, when am I ever going to get to build a five, six million dollar house? And so I did it for the opportunity of being involved with my mentor, who I trust and have known for a very, very long time. I did it because I thought, you know, I'm never going to be able to do this on my own. That's not the kind of project I would ever undertake on my own. And so I did it for the experience. Um, my worst case scenario is that I break even and I come out of it and I've lost the, the interest that I would have offset in that time. My best case scenario is maybe we make a couple hundred thousand each out of it. I don't know. You know, it's not an area that I'm an expert in. It's not like I went and did, you know, huge research into it. Um, and it, it could pay off. It might not. I don't know. But I sort of thought to myself, this might be a regret that I have later on down the track if I don't at least take the opportunity. And there's probably only one person on the planet that I would have done this with. So, um, you know, anybody else that came to me with an opportunity like this would have got a very sharp no. But because of the because of the person that it is and because of how um, our relationship has developed over many, many years, well over a decade, um, I took a chance. Coming up after the break, we'll delve into Dumpy's personal habits which have contributed towards a property investing success. If I say I'm going to get something done, I get it done. If I can't get it done on time, I'm updating them, I'm communicating with them. How property investing has enabled her to create the lifestyle she always wanted. There's a, um, a place in India called Udapur and there is um, a hotel called the Lake Palace. It's an actual palace, it's in the middle of a lake and it blew my mind. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Hey podcast listeners, if you're finding this podcast super informative, then guess what? I'm giving you an exclusive free case study from property investors like this one just for listening. These case studies are from experienced property investors where they share specific strategies and numbers of their portfolio. Simply text me your email address to 0499881040 to get your free case studies. Now back to the show. There are some powerful positive habits which Dunphy has instilled into her everyday life which in turn have contributed to the success she has shared with others. I think that probably if I could pick one word that I would want people to say about me in terms of any interaction that they have with me, it's dependability. So if I say I'm going to get something done, I get it done. If I can't get it done on time, I'm updating them, I'm communicating with them. And for me, that that is probably a fundamental tenet of customer service in any industry in terms of you know building good relationships with people. Just that simple premise of, making sure you note down when you say you're going to do something and then if you can't make it on time, coming back to the client before the deadline. Um, so to that end, you know, I have a, an empty inbox at the end of pretty much every day. Um, that's seven days a week. That might not be so great for my lifestyle but it makes me comfortable and it allows me to sleep well at night. Um, and just, you know, trying to cram as much as I can in. So like I said, when I walk into work or if I go for a run, I've got a podcast in my ears. Um, I'm not a big believer in multitasking but if there's something like that I can do that utilises some dead time. I don't like to have a lot of dead time. I don't watch a lot of television. Um, I did when I was younger but I 
I don't these days. I might watch 10 minutes a day to just kind of unwind my brain before bed and I just, just want to get the most out of my life. Like I have this general sort of um, it's a it's a Latin phrase that I live by and it's um actually saw it written up on the house of an architect over in the United States who um, as, did beautiful work called Frank Lloyd Wright and there was this Latin phrase inscribed over a door and it said mementos are there and I was like that's beautiful I have no idea what it means so I went home and I looked it up and it means remember to live and he inscribed it over this door in this house because so many people go through every day in their life existing waiting for the weekend waiting for this waiting for that but not actually remembering to just live and to experience every day so I'm trying to cram as much as I can into every day possible um you know I love to travel I love to hang out with my kids I love my work I'm so fortunate to love my work so I'm just trying to actually make sure that I remember to live rather than just existing. She says that traveling has become a top priority for her this year which has made possible through shifting her mindset and through investing in property. Actually, I had a bit of a turning point in my life this year with travel. I've always traveled a lot and I've always probably traveled more than most and been absolutely fascinated by it. And I was in India in January with a girlfriend and we um, stayed at predominantly mid-range hotels, you know, $90 a night and they were, they were fabulous. It was no dramas. But then she um, she planned the whole trip. I love it when someone else plans a trip for me. It's magnificent. And she actually booked us into two $1,200 a night places. We shared a room, but it was still significantly above the budget that I would usually feel comfortable spending. And one of them was the most amazing customer service experience of my life. For those of you that haven't been, which is probably most people, there's a, um, a place in India called Udapur and there is um, a hotel called the Lake Palace. It's an actual palace. It's in the middle of the lake and it blew my mind. And when I was staying there, I actually ended up being contacted on Instagram by a Korean chap who loved to travel and, you know, has a decent-sized following on Instagram and he was asking me questions about it and it, it turned out he was actually almost following our journey through India. So sounds a bit stalkerish but I think he was fairly legit so he would stay at the same hotels after us and he was getting tips and I ended up following him for a while longer and this guy was just traveling non-stop he would you know appear to go home to Seoul in Korea where he lives and then he would be off again and he'd be staying at Giraffe Manor in Africa or he'd be in Sydney or in New Zealand or in Hong Kong or everywhere and um, eventually I said to him I sent him a private message and I said look how is this even possible what is your job are you you know uh, Prince, are you an international playboy? Where is this coming from? And he told me that he was an architect and, you know, he said, I don't I don't earn a ridiculously high wage. I've just made travel a priority. And I was like, oh, my gosh, all he's done is make travel a priority. And so I just said I'm making travel a priority. And so this year so far I've been to 10 different countries um, and five of them were repeats for me but five were brand-new countries. I've always got my next trip booked now. It's a huge part of my life. It's actually probably a really good downtime for me as well because I can't see clients when I'm away, so it gives me time to de-stress. I still work. I haven't figured out how to not work when I travel, but my kids are getting an amazing exposure to the world. We just came back from Japan, South Korea, and China on a cruise with them, and you know, in the kids' club, there were people from Romania, Ukraine, Montenegro, um, and Guyana. And, you know, my six-year-old now knows maybe about 50 different flags. Like, they eat all sorts of different food. They speak the language everywhere we go. Um, that's me forcing them to. But, you know, they pick up, please, thank you, hello. And um, it's, it's, it's probably, you know, right up there with 
the three top priorities in my life. And what about um, your husband and, and the kids? Like how they found um, the travels? Because like obviously to pull the child out to, to go on you know holidays and stuff like that. Um, or actually, how long were you going away for? for- we do a lot of it in school holidays. Ah, so, okay, yep. yeah, I travel with my girls on my own quite a lot. So, we did Samoa in the first lot of school holidays, New Zealand in the second. We did Thailand in summer last year. And then this Japan, South Korea, China was right over their last school holidays and we only missed a week of school. And they're little. So, fundamentally, if you're learning a foreign language, speaking with people from 30 different countries and you miss a week of school and prep, I'm okay with that. Um, I feel like you're getting enough of an education that, you know, I'm compensating for that. So, yeah, so our next trip is Dubai, um, which I've never been to. So, yeah, we're going to hit that up in January, which will be amazing, just 10 days there. But, again, it's over their school holidays. And I kind of figure if I have them for school holidays here, I'll have a combination of having time with them and stressing over work or I'll have them in holiday care or be relying on friends, family, that sort of thing. But if I take them away, they just get me, you know. Yes, every now and then I'll be checking some emails, but most of it I can do while I'm while they're asleep. Sorry, not while I'm asleep. I wish I could work while I was asleep. Um, but they get, they get pretty much undivided me time and, you know, hopefully we're going to swim with dolphins. We're going to see camels in the desert. We're just, you know, they both love to fly, which is great because I love that too. I'm that weird person that likes airplane food and, you know, is actually extremely excited to spend time in airports. Sometimes we wish we could go back in time and give our past selves some useful advice to encourage them on their journey. So, if Dumpy were to meet her past self from 10 years ago, what would she say? Anticipate that having kids will be a greater impact on your life than it will be, both in a good way and a bad way. Um, I can't even explain to people who don't have kids out there. I mean, you know, you're in the same position. Like, it's the best thing and the hardest thing you'll ever do. And it's hard because we all want to do our best as parents. But for me, I also also want to lead a life that's exciting and inspiring for my kids so that they can see that they can do anything that they want to do so I feel like that's my job with them as well it's not only to be the best mum that I can be but also to be as much of a role model as I can be in terms of them achieving their goals whatever they want to be like my six-year-old wants to be a pilot at the moment and my four-year-old wants to be a zookeeper so I do whatever I can to make sure that they feel like they can achieve those goals so that would be number one I would say I've definitely underestimated the impact of um, parenthood um what else if I went back 10 years ago It's hard to say. Maybe start drinking tea earlier. (laughs) That's my other passion. I'm obsessed with tea. Like I'm completely and utterly obsessed with it. It's really nice for me because I don't have that many hobbies. Um, And maybe make travel a priority earlier. Yes, that would actually be it. I wish that I had done that before I had kids. The places I could have been to before I had kids. What was I thinking? Her plan for the next five years is to continue to break out of her comfort zone and purchase a more diverse range of properties. For me, I've just had my tax done, so I'm ready to go looking again. Um, I'm always excited when my tax gets done earlier than May. That's always good for me, so I can get stuck back into you know doing something else with the with the income estimates. Um, I love to buy something. I'd love to buy my first commercial property. So you know, reverting back to me being very boring, I have nothing commercial in my portfolio. I'm a full-on resi girl because I don't like vacancy. So down here in Tassie, especially, if I've got two weeks vacancy, that's 
that's unheard of down here if you buy well. So, you know, I'm used to a couple of days turnaround time. And because I'm so risk averse, like that works well for me. So probably the next thing for me and the thing that we're looking out for right now is to buy commercial premises, hopefully to do it in super um, and hopefully to get something multi-tenancy so that I, I can have, you know, just that sort of insurance system built in so that if I have one tenancy vacant, then I've got others making up the um, making up the slack. So that's what I've got my eyes open for right now, and I am actually doing research. I looked at two properties yesterday, and I'm I'm on I'm on real commercial all the time, scoping out something. So, yeah. So we've just kind of outgrown our current office space. We need something with good parking. So it will force me into the commercial world, which will be a whole new whole new adventure for me. Who knows? Maybe I'll love it. Although Dumpy can't make any specific recommendations as to the market trends on the podcast. There are certain characteristics she considers when looking for a property to invest in. I also have to be extremely careful because I can't be making any recommendations to anyone because I'm still a licensed real estate agent and because of my role as a mortgage broker. I would just say, like, go back to your fundamentals. Look for areas. I, I never invest in rural areas, remote areas. You'll never see me buy a property in a mining town. That's my own personal preference, not advice. Um, but I like to have a good population base. I like to be near good schools. I'm looking for families because being, you know, part of a family myself, the concept of uprooting and moving a family with kids and schools every year is not exciting. And so therefore, those tenants tend to stay longer, less wear and tear on the property, less letting fees, good for me as the property owner. So I'm that's what I'm looking for as an investor. As far as next hotspots, I mean, I'm looking up in Queensland at the moment, but whether I feel like that's something that's good for everyone, I don't know. I just feel like I need a bit more diversity. I'm only in two states. Um, I would love to go over and look in other countries, but that's not on the cards for me. Um, again, it's that whole rich dad, poor dad mentality. I'd love to go over to America and do, you know, a big recce sort of over there. But for me, it's just about, you know, making sure that my land tax bills aren't too excruciating, um, splitting my risk across multiple areas in Australia so that when one area is booming, like Taz is booming at the moment, I, um, I'm going to love getting my properties revalued once things calm down a bit here. But that's not a reliable capital growth that happens you know we don't our market dumps down here doesn't double every seven years we're not reliable like some of the other big major areas so for me I just want to spread my risk a little bit more and I think if people look for areas that have consistent sources of income good schools and that's that's what I would look for as indicators. If you'd like to contact Dumpy and gain more advice from her as a mortgage broker or chat more about her strategy for property investing you can do so via email. Probably the best thing to do is if you just Google my name, Kirsty Dunphy, I'm sure it'll be written in the podcast notes. You'll find all the different ways to get in contact with me, but my email is kirsty at kirstydunphy.com. Don't try and spell it without Googling my name because Dunphy is a bit of a minefield. Um, so what I'd maybe like to offer for your listeners is um, anyone that contacts me, if you just say you've heard me on the podcast, I'm more than happy to send you a digital version of my two books, which you might enjoy reading. One of them is all about my property journey. It's a little bit old now, so it doesn't have any anything more recent but your listeners might enjoy that and um, the other one is more about the business you know lessons and mistakes that I've made but I've been more than happy to send them out as gifts and you know my day-to-day life is spent working as a mortgage broker um, I predominantly work in the investment space so if anyone would like a, a home loan health check I'd be more than happy to do that or um, even just to say hi just to connect with some other investors I always like doing that and hearing people's stories so definitely feel free to reach out and shoot me an email. 
Thank you to Kirsty Dunphy, our guest on this episode of Property Investory. If you want to hear more about her journey, then visit our website at propertyinveststory.com. Simply type in the search bar Kirsty Dunphy and select that episode to learn more about her story. Also, if you haven't subscribed to receive your free property case studies that I only send out exclusively via email, then head over to propertyinveststory.com and subscribe. These real case studies are from experienced property investors where they share specific numbers of their portfolio, the strategies and much more. Simply visit propertyinveststory.com to receive your free case studies. Thanks for listening.